people would ask like, oh, are you real sisters? And like, that's like an annoying question for me. And I know a phrase that my mom would always say, um, she'd be like, well, it sure feels like it when they're fighting in the backseat. This is a podcast where we talk about adoption using our own experiences as adoptees, as well as others in our community. We're just so excited to be interviewing Kate today, who is um, my aunt's coworker. So shout out to my aunt for this connection. I just love all the connections we have been making lately. Um, It's just so awesome to see all of these adoptees coming together in this community. So If you aren't an adoptee yourself, you can still benefit from our podcast because I know you know someone. Yes. So I'm very excited to just dive right into this interview. Um, So welcome, Kate. Okay, so we are here with Kate. We are so excited to have you. Uh, Let's just get a little bit of your background. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you're adopted from, kind of the whole background on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name's Kate. I'm 28 years old. I grew up um, on the Iron Range of Minnesota initially, so like way up north, like think of Aurora, Hoyt Lakes, um, by Wabak. We moved to Aiken, Minnesota when I was um, 10 or 11, and that's where I lived until I went off to college. So that's kind of more uh, central Minnesota. I was adopted when I was four months old um, from Calcutta, India. The orphanage um, was International Mission of Hope. Um, And fun fact that I'm totally open to talking about later, but my sister, even though we're not biologically related, actually came from the same orphanage in India. And we arrived in the United States on the same day, September 2nd, um, except two years apart. So that's something that's really unique to our family. We actually have like you can't really see it, like matching tattoos on our forearm, just to kind of commemorate our arrival day. Um, So that's something that's really cool. And um, adopted by a single mom. She's a complete badass. Um, I love her so much, and I can talk about that more. Um, But so she adopted me, I think I arrived when she was 39. Um, And then, yeah, Christine, my sister, came a couple years later. And then... um, Yeah, my mom's married now, but that was actually more recently, like five years ago. So the first 23 years of my life, it was just me, my mom, and my sister. I love that. Yeah. And she's um, she's a retired Lutheran pastor as well. So I don't know if we like wanted to delve into like what it was like being a pastor's kid, but like that's something too that we could definitely go into if you wanted. (laughs) Well, that's so cool that you were raised by a single mom. I think that is a dynamic we've never come across. So that is something, and a lot of adopted people, I think, have single parents. So that is really cool to have that perspective. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, of course. She, something, so I definitely like touch base with her before doing this interview just to make sure I had um, some facts straight. But even when she was, I would say like a preteen, because like the way, her um siblings kind of fall in like birth order so she's the oldest um and then she has a brother who's a couple years younger and then another brother um this brother passed away and then she has her sister so her sister and my mom like are I think 11 or 12 years apart so like she got to um like do a lot of like hands-on with her sister. So like at that point when she was probably 11 or 12, like, and had a baby sister, she's like, yes, I know I want to be a parent. And I guess she said that she always like really wanted to do both like adopt and have biological children. But um, just, you know, at that point in her life, as she got older, like there wasn't a significant other in the picture where she was like, okay, like right now it's not in the cards for me to have um, 
biological children. So for sure, I want to pursue adoption. Um, So she went through Children's Home Society and Lutheran Social Services of Minnesota. Um, And I think she said like she always knew that she wanted to adopt from India. However, at the time when like she started her adoption process, I think for whatever reason, India wasn't allowing um, international adoptions. So she was planning on um, going to adopt through Guatemala. And then I think it was like right when she was starting like the the really like in-depth paperwork, her social worker was like, wait, like, did you hear that India is accepting international adoptions again? And she's like, no. So she ended up um, being able to do that. Meant to be. I loved that adoption was in her conversation or in her mind from the beginning. It wasn't like a second resort, which is also something that we want to touch on more because it uh, isn't always like that. So that is really right. awesome. That that is the case in her situation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I know, um, like me personally, I, as someone who has never known anyone who's biologically related to me, like, I feel like for me, I would like to have my own, um, biological children if I could, but I think I would also like to adopt. Um, and luckily I have a significant other that's really open to adopting too, just because, um, they've been able to see like just what a really special and cool thing it is just by getting to know my sister and I. So I, I, you know, I feel lucky in that respect. And then also, um, just friends that I've gotten to know over the years and have become close with, like they've actually, um, talked about more and more and too about wanting to adopt, which I, which is interesting, but I think it's, um, like good for me to hear that you like kind of that mindset is shifting that like, you know, adopting is just another way of making a family. And like you said, Erica, it's not always a last resort. Yeah. And I think Risa, you have more friends than I do who are kind of coming around with that too. Just talking about adoption as another option. Yeah, I think there's, I, you know, I definitely have probably like a good handful of people that have mentioned that and just said, like, even those who are, you know, in relationships, but they're not even quite there to like, even marriage or anything when they're talking about it, they're just like, this is something we would strongly consider. And, you know, it's just is something that we kind of put more on the forefront than probably people used to, first of all, but also just with like, knowing me and everything is just kind of like, you know, this is actually something that we would kind of consider in tandem with, you know, biological. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So have you done a search from your birth family or is that something you don't want to do? Yeah. Um, good question. So I haven't done a search for my biological parents and I you know, at this point in my life, I don't know if I ever will. Um, A mindset that I always remember having, even from when I was young, is like that, like my family is my family and like they're what I need. Um, But but I've always been like very curious and I might go as far to say like a little envious, like when I have friends or family that are like, that where I can see like, oh, you clearly got like your eyes from your mom, like say, you know, or this feature from your dad. I think like for me, that's something that I've always been um, more so curious about. However, like at different points in my life, I feel like that curiosity has like um, intensified. So like, for example, um, I think there was a few summers ago where like I had an annual physical and I had a pap smear that came back as abnormal. And I remember like, just having a lot of anxiety around that, just like not knowing um, family history. And like, I know now that it's like a fairly common thing, but I think at the same time, I had known some really close friends that had had abnormals and then had to get hysterectomies. So I think like, I was just really like wishing I knew more about, you know, family history in that moment. And then um, some like other thoughts that I have around that too. So when I was in eighth grade, like I would have been 13. My mom actually took my sister and I um, back to India through the ties program um, to do like a adoption um, kind of like visit just so we could connect with other children who had been adopted from India and see where we came from. Um, so we were there for about two weeks. And I think um, 
of course, like I'm older and I've reflected on this more now. Right. But at the time I remember like thinking it was very strange, especially when we were in Calcutta that like conceivably I could be walking by people that I'm related to and not even know. Um, and then kind of like going off of that now, like recently, um, with the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's hit India really hard, I just find that I have like like more concern and awareness, just kind of thinking about like, wow, like, do I like, do I have any family members like that are still living in India? Are they okay? Like, how are they impacted? So um, I think like, when those questions arise, like sometimes I find myself wishing I knew more, but it's not I feel like at this point in time, it's not enough where I'm like, taking the steps to do like, you know, like, um, 23 and me or like ancestry or stuff like that. Cause there's, I think there's a part of me where it's like, I don't know if I want to know. We yeah. are everywhere in that way, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> but but you like, and literally everything is like everything you're yeah. saying. Like, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> and two things off that I actually went through the ties program to go back to Columbia. So I think that's an awesome program. I just can't believe you did it in eighth grade. That is so young. <laughs> I, think, I think so when I was reflecting on this with my mom because like I think my recollection of the trip and hers is very different um sure. so like certainly I'd like to go back now more so as an adult um but from but I do like really appreciate the opportunity just to have like gone back and um you know connected with other families who had very similar stories and again just like you know see where I came from in that regards and we were able to see um the orphanage where Christine and I were adopted from. And there were actually, um, I think in India, they're called Masis, but like nurses that took care of some of us when we were um, children. And I guess I'm kind of skeptical, like, cause they were telling us like there was a translator there. And some of the translators were telling us that the nurses remembered us when we were babies and like me kind of being a skeptic. I was like, yeah, right. Like I'm sure you saw like a billion babies. Like, how do you remember us? However, when I was adopted, my mom um, was sent a picture of me being held by one of the nurses. Um, So I remember we brought the picture with us and I remember we kind of showed it to the other nurses just to see if they had remembered who this woman was. And they got so excited. And the translator was like, yes, they know her. She's actually like still alive doing well like she just couldn't be here today but like that was really cool for them to be like we know this woman and kind of like just share how they thought she was like a really you know caring person like so like for me um that was really cool and then my mom was saying too like I think there was so like that was like my recollection of it just being like being a lot for especially for like a 13 year old Kate but like kind of like feeling like a lot of things um, were like making more sense. But I do remember my mom saying there was one point in the trip where like, I think I was just having a rough night and I was like using language, like, I wish you wouldn't have taken us here. Like Christine did not, and I didn't even want to come. And then she also shared too, that I, she remembered me talking about how I had some anxiety about how like my birth family was going to find me and then wouldn't let me leave. Um, which honestly, I have no recollection of this at all. But like, I feel like that's something very specific that my mom like would yeah. remember. So it's just interesting that that's something I don't remember now, like 15 years later. So then going back also to, I mean, I guess I don't know how it all works. I mean, obviously, every international adoption is different. Do you know any of the circumstances surrounding your adoption at all? Like any age of your parents or anything like that? I don't actually. Um, And so something that I always remember knowing, I think I remember um, hearing you all speak to this in one of your early podcast episodes that like you don't remember not knowing you were adopted. Like it was just always something you knew. So like same for me, um, but something that my mom was told, um, I think by the adoption agency that has kind of just like stuck with me is that like... um, with India, um, at the time, especially like culturally, it was very looked down upon to have children outside of marriage, um, and that abortions were readily available in India. But, um, so like from her understanding in the adoption agency, because my biological mother, um, had 
didn't terminate my pregnancy right away. Like she kind of let it um, go as far as she could. So I was born in April, two months premature. I weighed two pounds and 12 ounces. Um, but just like from, from that perspective, like what, what I was told and what I guess I choose to believe is that I'm, I'm thinking that she might've hoped that she could keep me if she let the, um, like pregnancy go on for that long. And, like maybe just hoping in the back of her head that the marriage were to work out, but then they're probably hit a point where it wasn't going to happen. And um, probably her family or her was like, okay, like got to, got to get rid of this baby now. So then um, she was induced um, and then had me. And I think it's my understanding that, you know, I was just brought to the, to the orphanage and um, you know, that was that. So I even like prior to um, coming on the podcast, like looked at the, the birth certificate I have, but it's like, it's one from like St. Louis County and Aurora. So like Minnesota, but even just looking to see if there were any details on there, like, you know, a time of birth or like anything. I don't think we have, we don't have anything like just beyond, um, I think like the initial pictures that my mom got while she was waiting for me. So I think there's like a lot of unknowns in that respect. But like, again, for me, I guess that doesn't really bother me too much. Cause like, I've just known that from the beginning that like, that's the information we had. And um, like, I guess it was good enough for me. And that's and- a good thing to just be comfortable with just the information you have. Again, I think we've talked about this a couple of times, Risa, but just making that more um, normal that, you know, not searching for birth families or, birth moms are finding that information is okay. And so I I love that perspective. And I think that's really good. We do agree though, the medical issues are, I think that's the, the hardest part about being an adoptee. You don't know anything like that. And even finding my birth mom, she didn't know that information. So I'm still left in the dark. So is it, you know, kind of worth it? You weigh the good and the bad. And sometimes it just doesn't outcome to the, you know, the, what you wanted. So I think it's just normalizing that is amazing. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for like speaking that to that from your own experience, like just mm-hmm. sharing with your biological mother, like even though you met her, you still didn't have those answers. So yeah, everyone's like story is so um, different, but that doesn't make a good or bad, right? It's just how it is. Exactly. Exactly. When I think a lot of that too, is the fact that it's not even us not knowing our biological parents that makes it difficult with the medical stuff. It's the fact that our biological parents are from a country in which the healthcare system is not going to allow them to even know about these things. So it's like kind of just, I don't know, kind of useless in that way where it's like, if our biological parents were from here, that would be a different story. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, well, does it really, I mean, it doesn't really matter because they wouldn't really know, but it's still like a present issue in which we have to then take that emotionally and have to deal with that emotionally. You know, otherwise, I guess I would assume folks from that are domestically adopted might know more. You know, there's probably a much higher likelihood of people knowing that kind of thing and being able to look back at family history, but being from places like India and Colombia, it's like, even if they had these genetic illnesses, they probably didn't even know it and they wouldn't be able to provide that information. Yeah, that's a great um, point to bring up. Just like access might look very differently for those people, especially maybe in different countries too. Right. Growing up um, way up north, it's primarily white um, culture and people. Did you have a hard time with your identity when you were younger or even now? Um, so I wouldn't say so much that like, I've ever really had a problem with identity in the sense of like, not knowing who I am. Like, I feel like I've always had a very strong sense of self. Um, something that has resonated with me though, um, and this is maybe more a conversation just about like racial identity, but um, just hearing language about from like children who have been internationally adopted, that it's like you feel like you don't necessarily fit anywhere. So like growing up in super white towns was my experience. So um, even though I grew up in, you know, Minnesota my whole life and identify with like this culture was raised by a Lutheran pastor, um, like all those 
you know, components make me who I am. And like, but like, but like other people might not, you know, see it that way, just judging based on the way I look. Like I remember when I moved um, to Aiken, so I would have been going into sixth grade. And on my first day of school, I remember standing at the lockers and having some girl come up to me and going like, do you speak English? And I just looked at her super confused, like, yeah, like, do you, you know? So it's just like stuff like that over the years where it's like, um, how do I word this? It's like, I feel like I, you know, fit in. Um, but then it's like instances that are more often than not tied to race, like where it's like a just like straight up racism where I'm like, oh yeah, like I am different. Like this isn't, um, you know, as normal for other people as it probably is normal for me. I think I, I can totally understand where you're coming from. A lot of times you just, you do feel normal or part of the community. And then there's those moments where it's like, wait, I do look different than you. I didn't even realize, you know, so very interesting. And I, I figured that would have happened in uh, a small, small white town. So it's just kind of bound to happen. And from what we've noticed on a different platform on our podcast, just seeing all of the different races and communities that you grew up in. So that is very interesting that you also go around that. Yeah. And so I think like something that I've been thinking about more and more is like, if I ever, I think if I, regardless, if I were to have biological children or adopt, like I'm realizing that it's becoming more and more important to me that like I live somewhere that there's some um, racial diversity, because like looking back, it was really hard growing up in towns where I could literally count on one hand how many people of color um, there were, you know, in my school. And not to say that like racial um, diversity is the only form of diversity, because of course, there's diversity of all kinds. But like, um, just thinking about like certain experiences I had growing up, like, um, you know, like when we lived on the iron range, like I had people call me the N word, like, and at, they were like, they were kids, like people my age, but it's like reflecting back as an adult, it's like, okay, you're learning that from someone, you know, which is really disturbing. Or I remember, um, there was one time where I was in middle school, um, and uh, like a lot of my there was one specific instance where I remember a classmate asked me like, cause like, I don't know if you all get this question a lot, but like all throughout my life, I get the question, like, where are you from? Like, you know, like, cause people yeah. just, I don't know, just that anyway, that's a whole nother yeah. thing. But, um, so I remember I said, well, I'm from India. So like I'm East Indian. Um, and they're like, no, you're not. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, no, like you're black, like just like people like are so like so ignorant and living in like really small towns. I, I think a lot of the time, like people would just identify like me as black because that was like their only frame of reference. So I've um had that happen to me a lot in my life or even um light of like the more recent political climate. Like I would say it's, it is just like more so interesting living in like smaller towns like not that everyone has like the same political views but I can definitely feel a shift in just like um how I guess I feel from a safety perspective that was probably quite different than I was in high school absolutely are you in Minneapolis now um so I actually live in Forest Lake right now um except for I work in Minneapolis at Augsburg. I work with um, Erica's aunt, actually. So it makes me feel really good that I can at least work in a space that's just very sure. diverse. Um, yeah, so that's nice. Absolutely. So I would love to kind of visit or like revisit your um, your family, um, since obviously you have a sister that's adopted. Your, you know, your parent growing up was a single mom. What was her like journey kind of deciding? I mean, obviously you kind of mentioned like how she decided on where she was going to adopt from, but what do you know about like the timeline as far as adopting you guys and, um, and just kind of any information that you'd like to give us on that? Yeah, I'm trying to, I don't know if I remember like the exact time she started, um, the adoption process, but I remember like, for my mom, she was incredibly lucky with both my sister and I in that like her adoption processes moved relatively quick. So if I was I was born in April of 93, end of April and arrived in September of 93. So like four months that moved really quick. 
for my sister, Christine, she was born um, November of 94 and then arrived in September of 95. So she was adopted when she was nine months old. So a little bit later than I was, but still um, based on what I've heard from other families who have adopted children who have waited like years to adopt their children. And like, that's how long the adoption process takes. I know um, that my mom has always said that she was really grateful that our processes move so quick and smooth. Um, I guess I don't know, I guess like, yeah, again, like too many details around the timeline, but kind of similar, I think to um, maybe the episode Erica, where your parents were on from my understanding, like, my mom's adoption and Risa, your parents too, um, just very similar with like having to work with social workers, filling out a very extensive application, a dossier, letters of reference, um, just a lot more in depth than one might think. So I'm kind of like jumping around, but like one of the questions, like what are some things you wish people would realize about adoption? I wish they would realize that it's like like very extensive and like not just anyone can adopt. Like, quite frankly, you have to go through more hoops than someone who would have their own child. Um, so it's not something that people just decide on a whim and take lightly. Like it takes a lot of time and planning. Um, so in addition to having home videos, my mom has um, she's just, you know, like scrapbooks of us growing up. And I remember in my scrapbook, like some of the beginning pages I remember is like, you know, a picture of my mom's house at the time and like, you know, a picture of her and her dog. And I remember like asking about these pictures and she's like, oh, I wanted to keep these pictures um, because these are the pictures I submitted with your adoption application. Like, um, so th that you know, is something that's like kind of cool just to see like, okay, this is where you were at um, your place in life at the time where you submitted the application for me. So I think that's cool that we kind of have photos to commemorate that. Yeah, I love the documentary. For sure. That's so cool. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I think I might've mentioned this earlier, but so my mom was 39 when I arrived. Um, and I, and I think like she was saying that you know, like she had hoped that she would have, you know, found a spouse to be able to have biological children with, but there, like, you know, she hit a point where she's like, this just isn't in the cards for me right now, but I'm still going to proceed um, to have a family because that's something I've always wanted. And then she, I just remember her saying too, that she waited until she was a little bit older just to make sure that, you know, she had like a stable job and enough income to support kids. So I think sometimes like, Maybe not so much anymore because I feel like our generation as a whole is are having children at later ages. But I remember at the time, like people were like, oh, 39, so old. And she's like, well, yeah, but no, like I just wanted to make sure I had A, B and C lined up before I did this big thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> people that don't do that. And especially if you're adopting, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's um, limitations surrounding you know, single parents adopting, like, I can't even imagine that that was easy, especially earlier than that. You know, there's a lot of things there that seems like it would be possibly complicated. Has your mom mentioned anything as far as like that being an issue, like her being a single parent and adopting, especially like internationally? I don't know if that makes it more or less complicated, but has that yeah. been anything that she's discussed? That's a great question. I don't know if we've actually, I feel like we might've talked about that years and years ago. Like I didn't realize this at the time, but like when I was, I think a junior in high school, I was in a college public speaking class and, um, I gave, like, we had to give a persuasive speech. And I remember mine was on why I thought couples who identified as gay should be able to adopt which looking back I'm like this is pretty bold as like a 16 year old kid in a super white town talking about this like really um controversial topic but um I didn't think about that at the time just later but anyway um I, I feel like when I was doing research for that speech like my mom probably spoke more to like that side of her adoption being like a single mom and just like barriers. But honestly, that's not something I thought about since, but it would be really interesting to go back and just be like, 
what, like what obstacles, if any, did you face, you know, when trying to adopt as a single parent? But I know that she had a lot of support from her family and the community, like being a Lutheran pastor, she was like very well known by everyone. So, um, we have a clipping in the scrapbook of, um, it's like my, my arrival announcement where it's like the stork carrying a little baby, but it's like for a, like a party that like the church hosted for my mom, just cause they were so excited that she was having a daughter being brought into the community. So like growing up, especially in Aurora, everyone knew my sister and I, just cause my mom was so, so well known in the community. Um, and at the time, so living in Aurora, we had family, like my mom's sister, and her brother-in-law and two of my cousins lived in Hibbing and so did my grandma. So growing up, um, we were all incredibly close um, with family because they lived so close. And then um, at the time I had um, an aunt and uncle and cousins that lived in Maple Grove as well. So like growing up, I'm, I'm still appreciative to this day how close I am with like my aunts and uncles and my cousins. And I think maybe you two brought this up in one of your previous episodes, but just like I just feel like so um, grateful and blessed that I was adopted into the family that I am because I feel like we all get along so well and we're so close. And I'm like, gosh, like this couldn't have worked out better just in any scenario. It's just kind of like we were talking about at the beginning, like this is kind of a meant to be thing, I think. Exactly. It sounds like everything aligned perfectly for you, which adoption in itself is a challenge. So to have that part, be a little bit easier is a blessing for sure. Yeah. And something else I'll, I'll mention too, why I just think like it, like it again, like reaffirms that it was meant to be and it worked out well. So because I was born too much um, premature, I was actually born with a very mild form of cerebral palsy. Um, so when I was adopted, um, I think around the developmental stage, when you start walking, like, um, like my mom and like some other people could tell that like my, like my walking and what is, wasn't just how it should be, but like how fortunate that I um, was adopted into, you know, a family in place that had resources. And I was able to get two intensive corrective surgeries done for free through Shriners. And I just think about like, you know, how lucky I am to have those resources and, um, you know, to, that now it's like I'm at the point where it's like I don't really even think about that um, too much yeah. that, you know, like that I have cerebral palsy, which I know is like incredibly um, privileged and fortunate. But again, it's just stuff like that where it's like if I wasn't adopted, probably none of that would have happened, you know? Absolutely. Sure. Wow. wow. That's really interesting. Has um, and remind me how much younger is your sister than you? Um, I think we're about a year and a half apart. About a year and a half. And is there anything like kind of like that that's um, that your sister has dealt with, like any of those kinds of health issues? Or is she kind of on the same lines as you as far as um, not pursuing searching for bio family? Or I guess what's kind of like, I guess, kind of comparing and contrasting the two of you? Sure. So I would, I don't want to speak too much for her since she's like not part of the podcast, but um, what I will share is that um, from my understanding, I think like our feelings about searching for um, birth parents or biological parents are pretty on par. Like, I think we both talked about that, like maybe someday if there was like, you know, a sale that like 23andMe does, like, you know, like around Mother's Day or certain times of the year, like Black Friday, maybe we do something like that, but it's not something that's super been on our radar I guess like um and what I'm very grateful for is that now that we've become um more so adults I think especially um when I moved away from college or for college we got a lot closer and then when my mom got married five years ago we got a lot closer too um but it's just it's just really nice to have someone um that literally grew up in your same family and is adopted. So like there's things that like we understand that no one else will, which has been really helpful. And then um, just being able to have more conversations too around like racial identity and power and privilege has been super um, helpful too over the years. I bet that has been just a really nice support, just someone where you can connect with and trust in a spot. So that's really nice. Cause I think Risa and I have looked for that for almost our whole life and, 
we finally got it, but yeah, having a I was just gonna say, I'm like, we have it now with each other, but that, like, having that growing up would have, I'm sure, was life-changing for the two of you. Yeah, and again, like, I mean, like, that's, like, my privilege and my experience. Like, I didn't even, like, think about, like, you know, for, like, for you, Erica, and you, Risa, how maybe you two were searching for that and didn't find it until you met each other through work. Like, that's phenomenal, but then again, it reaffirms for me, like, how really lucky I am to have, you know, my sister and that we share that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Yeah. So that's been, um, that's been good. And I think as if I'm remembering correctly, I think my sister was born um, prematurely as well. Like she should have been born in December, um, but she didn't have any um, like physical or mental disabilities. How do you think adoption has affected your mental health if it has or not? Well, something I, I had a question on, so like, um, and kind of like the pre-notes before the podcast, like when you all kind of say like, um, like when you refer to run-of-the-mill adoption issues, like what comes to mind for you? Like, um, I mean, a lot of it is more like abandonment kind of issues and resentment and kind of just like those, like, they're obviously very generalized kind of terms, obviously, like, you can kind of get down to like the like depression, anxiety, obviously, but that's um, kind of more specifically with like abandonment, resentment, things like that. I'm trying to think if there was anything else that I can think of, but. Okay. That's yeah, that's really helpful. I guess I just needed a little bit more context. I'd say for me personally, like, I feel like I've been pretty well adjusted. I just think about like, again, I think I said earlier times in my life where I have like a had a health scare, um, that I'm, I just like feel more anxious about not really knowing, um, you know, what like those genetics look like, which, um, like we talked about, like, you know, even if I did know my biological parents, I still might not know. So I think that more just stems from me in general, being a person that like always likes to know things. Like I don't like uncertainty, but I don't think that has anything to do with being adopted. If that makes sense. Like, I think that's just something that I, that I've had my whole life. Part of me wants to disagree with the fact that it might not have to do with it just in the way that I'm like, I feel like that's like a, a common term or a common theme we've seen with almost everybody. Like that they've said, like, I like oh. to know my information. I like to be in the know. And I just think that it's really interesting that I'm seeing that kind of continuously. And obviously it could, we never know if that's something that's coming from that or whatever, but I think it's kind of something that's like a anxiety slash avoidant kind of thing where it's like, I don't like to be surprised. I need to know things going on just because being in control is something that I think a lot of adoptees find really important when they're kind of later in life is just being in control and knowing what's going on. Yeah, no, but, that's interesting. I never thought about it through that lens. Okay, so we talked a little bit about like what you wish people would realize about adoption. Is there anything else you want to touch on with that? Um, I kind of just like, so like, again, like really, I think it's like just another way of making a family and like the relationships are just as real, um, which I don't think like people often realize. Like I, I know a common question like, my mom got, or even like my sister and I, when we were younger, like people would ask like, Oh, are you real sisters? And like, that's like an mm -hmm. annoying question for me. And I know a phrase that my mom would always say, um, she'd be like, well, it sure feels like it when they're fighting in the back seat or just like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, just stuff like that, where it's like, yeah, like I just, um, the relationships are just as real. I think, um, more recently, some phrases that people say that I think are really irritating to me is if like you're talking, like say you're talking to someone who has like a brother um, and like they don't look a lot like their brother or act like them. It irritates me to no end when they're like, oh, well, I'm the adopted one. And it's like, no, don't say that. Like, because like to me, I feel like um, that's just like making adoption feel like a negative thing or like something bad. And so I wish like people um, kind of just knew more about like what that phrase might like just come off as, or even I've had some people like, if I tell them that like my sister and I aren't 
biologically related or we didn't arrive at the same time. Like sometimes I've heard people use the language like, oh, what? Like you you guys weren't a package deal. And like that annoys me because I'm like, because like to me, I perceive that is that like they're thinking about something that's like, like a very transactional thing, which like makes me circle back to the point where it's like, no, to adopt, it's actually quite an extensive process. Like it has to be very, very well thought out. Like it's, I mean, some people might make the argument, like it is a business transaction, but for me, I'm like, um, no, like that's not how I feel like people should look at it. Yeah. And even when it kind of connects to, I mean, there's a lot of adoptees that have, um, negative thoughts about it and they feel as though it's transactional, but it's also like those kinds of phrases are only hurtful and like perpetuating that kind of like the pain that like those kinds of people feel just like when they want to improve things in the adoption world. But I can't believe people actually said that. Like that's, Oh my God. And same with actually going back to like, Oh, he's the adopted one. Like, I mean, you guys have probably both seen, those kinds of like pranks online where it's like, we're going to tell my brother he was adopted. It's like, that is so messed up. And it's also putting it in a negative light. Also just being like, ah, I don't even know. It's just like, what if a kid had been recently told and then they're seeing this and they're seeing how like, you know, just chaotic that kind of thing can be. It's just, it's so toxic. And so many people, again, like that's why we're trying to just like, normalize the conversation and be like, Hey, we're really part of mainstream society. And these kinds of things are really insensitive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, you two are able to have this platform to just kind of like speak to, um, adoption, international adoption specifically, but yeah, exactly. Like you said, Risa, like we're here where it's mainstream. Like this is not, you know, something to be ashamed of or that it's, yeah. For sure. Well, I guess the last question that I have, unless we see you have another one, um, just Kate, what advice would you give to other adoptees based on your experience um, as a woman, kids trying to navigate, you know, the identity or just adoption process, whatever you can come up with for just any type of advice for adoptees? You know, I thought about this question. And I was like, gosh, like, I want to have some like mind blowing words of wisdom. But like, <laughs> I don't really. Um, I feel like in my profession, so much of what I do is like, find resources that are high quality and then connect people to them. And like, I'm a big proponent of just like, talking even though it's hard being vulnerable and it's uncomfortable and it's a lot of work like I think I would just try to encourage like um adoptees to like seek out resources and talk to someone of course only if it's helpful to them but I feel like for me like um like growing up, I was really lucky to have like my mom who like, even when we were like little, she'd read us children's books that always had like an adoption, like not always, but like there would be books that had an adoption focus or they'd feature like people from diverse backgrounds. Um, she took us to Indian culture camps in Colorado when we were little, just so we could like kind of be more connected to our culture in that way. Like we we're able to go um, through the ties program. So like not, I recognize that every family might not have the resources to do that. Um, but like for me, just having those resources, even though I probably didn't appreciate them at the time, like I think really did help me, you know, adjust and learn um, to help me become the person I am today. And even I think about like in high school, like I didn't really talk too much about adoption. Um, which I think at the time, like, it's just not like a place in life where I felt like I needed to talk about it. But as an adult, like, as I've gotten older, I remember when I started um, my first year of undergrad, a girl that lived on my same floor was actually adopted from India. And I remember, like, she and I still talk off and on now, but I remember it was like really helpful just to have someone that was on my floor that went to my school that I'm like, oh, we can talk about this and like, we have this in common. So I remember like, like, again, like there's just things that are so specific, I think to adoptive children and adoptive family that that was helpful for me, even when I was at college. Um, but again, like how would I have known that if we didn't start talking, you know? So yeah. And like, I've even more recently had a, a friend who's a teacher who, 
um, just kind of approach me because like some of the students she works with are adopted, um, but then like also struggling to find their racial identity. So like not not to say that I'm like, you know, like a spokesperson for for any of this, but I think it's just like made me feel more optimistic that like that like people are recognizing that there's maybe like value in like in my experience of what I have to say and like um like trying to like tap into me like me as a resource which by extension like like this particular friend I was like you know I shared kind of my two cents but then also was able to pass along the link for your podcast and be like this is something I've been listening to lately that's been helpful for me maybe the students you're working with would find this valuable too so like I guess long story long, just like don't be afraid to seek out resources, um, even though it might be scary. Like I feel like there's just so much value in storytelling and bonding in that way. That answer was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yes, I can 100% agree. Just I think you doing the culture camps and just trying to, you know, understand where you're from and having your mom – read those books. That is important too. I think for a lot of adoptive parents, like really just don't hinder your adoptees, um, culture, express it. Um, let them explore that. I just think that's really important. And that kind of helps you grow up and find your identity and not have as many questions. So I think that's very good. Shout out to your mom for that, because I think that's super helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for saying that for reaffirming that like prior, um, to the interview like this week I was on campus at Augsburg and talking um to Sandy Erica's aunt and I was like I'm so nervous that my episode is going to be boring because I've listened to some of their other episodes and I'm like my story feels so basic and Sandy was just like no like just have fun with it like it's gonna be fine and like that's something my mom said too um just have fun with it so like now that we're coming towards the end of the interview like I've had so much fun and um just thank you so much for having me it's been a really positive experience that I'm glad I had the opportunity just to kind of share more about myself and my story vice versa it's been so great and now we have another connection you can reach out to us anytime we hope to have once COVID and things start things are starting to change but even a little bit more we can want to have like a group get together so hopefully you can be a part of that that'd be really awesome to meet you face to face in person yeah that'd be great I'd like that yeah Yeah, that would be awesome so so much we appreciate it and we loved your story and we're just so glad to have uh, more people in the community come on our podcast so thank you again (laughs) thanks Erica thanks Risa of course course. we'll talk to you soon and we'll keep you updated on when we're gonna post the episode but if you ever have any questions or of course as far as resources go you know given kind of what we're trying to do and everything it's um, and kind of what you mentioned with having just conversations, that's what we're trying to just keep it, you know, keep it casual, keep it fun, keep it lighthearted so that we can talk about these kinds of things and not have it be always this daunting, heavy conversation. So we really want to just keep perpetuating that. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for all you do. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for sharing us. And if you've come across any other resources, let us know too. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Well, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you. Take care. That was awesome. Okay. I love Kate. It's another one of those episodes where I just feel so uplifted and happy. And she just seems so confident in her story and her journey, which is another, um, I think, aspect of adoption where it's not always sad or bad or, you know, as an adult adoptee, you've gone through all these different emotions and just to come out on top and strong and confident it just was kind of a breath of fresh air so we really connected with her and I connected with her in a lot of ways she went to a culture camp she did the ties program um it just felt really natural to have her on our podcast and I think also with what you just said about like it being very uplifting and everything I what I always really like to highlight is just um that the adoptees that kind of are in that realm and they're able to, or they've gotten to a point or maybe they've maintained that point, who knows? But when they Mm -hmm. are kind of like her, where she's like, I am proud of who I am. I am glad with what my life turned out to be, et cetera. That is something that 
I could see adoptees from that side feeling guilt for um, just given how some other adoptees feel. And I think it's, people should be okay and proud of, you know, either the work that they've done, the life that they've had, things that they've accomplished, and there's no harm in being happy with how your life has turned out. I think that that can be kind of tough to deal with. And especially given all of the perspectives that you and I have seen over the course of time that we've been interviewing people and, and all of that and the hardships that people have gone through and the hardships we've gone through. It's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being able to just be in your life and having this good experience. And it isn't, you know, good or bad for everybody. It's all different. Yeah. And every story is completely different. And I've said that time and time again, but it, it truly is. And even from her to her sister, it's different, but yet very similar. So it was just really nice to hear from her and have another perspective of uh, adopting our community. That was just an overall a great episode with Kate. So I'm really glad we could connect with her and I'm really looking forward to being able to meet her in person for real one day. So once things again are more calm than they are, but we're getting there. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe to our YouTube channels, Facebook accounts, Twitters, Apple podcast, Spotify. Where else are we? Pod and Amazon, PodMN, so PodMN specifically, Minnesota listeners, check out PodMN. It's all Minnesota-made podcasts, so um, it's all very local. So definitely check that out. There's a great way of earning rewards on that app. So uh, take a look there. I think you named every other one, though. Amazon, Apple, Spotify, PodMN. Check out our website. We have resources on our website that you can benefit from, or if you know an adoptee who can benefit from We are going to continue to add more to that, um, you know, within the next couple of years. So just continue to follow us, support us. And we thank you so much for all the support and love you've given us already. Until next time. Later. Bye. Bye.